Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Dana, thank you for joining us for this podcast episode. To those of you that are listening or maybe watching on Facebook Live right now, um, I want to tell you a little bit about Dana and uh, how I how I met her and why she is with us today. Uh, Dana Cryer currently lives in the Pottsboro, Texas area, and I met her through Entourage ministries monthly gathering uh, which you need to join us if you're listening or watching and you've not done that yet uh, dana knew our worship leader jesse because jesse also leads at uh, the church that dana fellowship set which is georgetown baptist in pottsboro texas and so um, dana has released a book in the past 24 hours and it is called the seller my emotional grave. And I've actually had the opportunity to read the book. And the book is about her life story that we're going to dive into in, in just a minute. And so we will, uh, we'll make that link available. Um, on It's for purchase on Amazon, you can do hard copy, you can do a digital copy through Kindle, or I think some other mediums as, as well. Um, if you want to get your hands on that. Um, if anyone young is listening or watching or in your car, I do want to disclose that there is mature content in in this uh, testimony. But we are so thrilled to, uh, to hear the story firsthand about uh, the rescue that God has brought forth in, in Dana's life. And um, going into our April Entourage event, which is going to be uh, Tuesday evening, April 9th, 6.30 p.m. at the Monterey in Durant, Oklahoma, that's going to be a themed service called um, all testimony, no shame. And uh, like I'd shared in, in a Facebook Live video that was saying we're going to Facebook Live this interview and podcast. Um, it was just based on a word of an a word of encouragement that the Lord had given me uh, for a woman in Duncan, Oklahoma. She was going to be sharing her story for the first time and had said to me, "I'm feeling a little anxious about it." And I just immediately um, heard the Lord in my spirit say. The difference between shame and testimony is Jesus Christ. And in the case of that woman, what minutes before had been something she didn't want anyone to know about um, by simply inviting Jesus into that and sharing it with others, it became a tool of ministry and light all around her. So we just like to bust that darkness open and let the light of Jesus come in. And that is exactly what happens in Dana's story and a picture of Dana's life uh, now. So let's just start at the beginning. Dana, tell me about the day you were born and the circumstances that surrounded that day. Okay, I was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, November the 5th, 1946. And I was left at the hospital, and I have a little birth certificate, and it says, unnamed baby girl. So that was right there telling us that there was no one around. And then I kind of moved on into about, probably about four years old when I was kidnapped. Where were you, how did it come about that you were kidnapped or where had you lived kind of from zero to four and then who kidnapped you at that time? Well, the, really there's not much of a memory there. 
been up to three years old. Mm -hmm. But I do remember being outside, and I was on a swing, and a man came up, and he started telling me something. And what he told me, I don't remember, but I left with him, and he took me up into the mountains of Flagstaff where I was born mm -hmm. and hid me in an old white shack up in the mountains where I never saw anybody. I was never around anybody mm -hmm. during that time in that shack. But he did take me out. He, he took me out during the daytime and would look around for things mm -hmm. and then go back at night and steal them. Mm -hmm. And so but as far as seeing people, I never saw anybody. I never got to go to the grocery store. I was never in the daylight. I was just in the shack. I remember in your book, uh, you made the comment that you never had a bicycle yourself, but you'd been part of stealing several uh, because that was part of the routine of, of what you all did. And also while, while you were in total isolation, um, you're the normalcy of your life looked very different than most children's. And so um, talk about what that, what that was like during your years of, of isolation. Uh, you weren't riding bicycles. You weren't learning the ABCs. What was a normal day for you? A normal day was, and it was my father that kidnapped me. But the normal day was just to be there to be his slave. And that was actually to have sex all the time with this man. So from really the age of around 4 to 11, you were molested and raped repeatedly by your biological father that had um, abducted you. And um, talk about what happened when you were 11 that the circumstances changed. How was some measure of light brought into that situation? Well, I was probably about 10 at this time, but he had... Um taking me from the shack, and he moved me to Texas. And for those hours that we were in the car, he always had a gun and threatened to kill me. So I didn't know what he was going to kill me, why he would kill me. I didn't know what it was, you know, because I never talked to anybody. But he took me on to Texas, and he had a wife and four children. And she worked, and he worked. But the day that really the story started was there was an old abandoned cellar on the property and he came home one day and he told me to go to the cellar. When he first went to start living with his family he always told me I had to face a door or face a window because that was my lead to go to the cellar and I spent a lot of time in that dark dungy cellar by myself but anyway his wife came home and said where's Dana and they didn't know because I had to slip away but in the meantime he comes home and he comes to the cellar and he starts having sex with me. And she came home, the mother's children, and said, where's your, where's Dan? And they didn't know. But said, Daddy's in the cellar. And so she went and opened the cellar door, and when she did, she saw him on top of me. And she also, there was a gun. But anyway, she ran into the house, and she grabbed a gun and came, and he, by this time he's running out of the cellar. And she's screaming at me, be still, be still. So I stayed there, and then I heard a gun go off. And I guess my biggest fear as a child was that he killed her and that he was going to come down to the cellar and I'd never be, you know, released from his grip, the darkness. But it ended up she shot him, and she's telling me to stay in the cellar, and then I start hearing sirens, and sirens are coming. 
And I remember a policeman coming to the cellar, and he looked down at me, and he said, Honey, get your clothes on. He said, I'm here to take you out of this cellar. The greatest news I've ever heard at 10 years old, ever, come out of that cellar. So anyway, they took me on to the hospital by ambulance, and the doctor there checked me, and he told me there's probably going to be two things that's going to be wrong with you. You'll never be able to have children because you're so messed up. And then he said, and probably a nervous breakdown, because I didn't even talk to him. The reporter was asking me questions, and I couldn't even answer them. Can you imagine being 10 years old not talking to anybody? That's where I was. But anyway, they hid me for some time because they were getting the trial ready, and I had to testify against my, my daddy. And this went on for days, and such. this is the sad part. Why the lawyer was asking me questions, he was doing things to me. And so I dealt with that and scared of the lawyer during the trial, and then they told me never to look at my daddy, make contact with him. But when they found him guilty after this went on for a long, long time, but when they found him guilty, they handcuffed him and left with him. And I happened to glance down, and when I did, I looked at him, and he said, I'll kill you. So there again, that fear started. It was always fear, always fear of the dark and being around him. Mm-hmm. Even when he was in handcuffs and in prison, you were a prisoner because of the actions that he'd taken toward you and that had instilled fear in your life. And I want to pause right now for any listeners live or on our podcast that this may hit um, home and it may feel very intense and hard to listen to. I just want to encourage you that there's hope and there's light at the end of Dana's story. So just hang with us. Um, If God brought Dana out of that cellar and God took those um, handcuffs and chains off off of her, he can do the same for you. So don't don't stop listening. Hang on. Um, what I want to ask you next is one of uh, my favorite scenes in your book where you describe hearing the name Jesus for the first time. So because you'd been in isolation for all those years, you didn't, like I said, you didn't know the ABCs. You'd not heard even being kind of in a Bible Belt type of area. You'd not been to church. You'd not heard about Jesus and basic Bible stories that the rest of us take for granted. Who told you the name Jesus for the first time? Well, I want to say, first of all, I never heard the words, I love you. You think about that, a baby born, never being held in their a mother's arms, grandmother's arms, anybody's arms. So I didn't even know what love meant. I've never heard those words mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. But that night at the children's home, they separated us at the courthouse and sent the two boys off to Boys Ranch. My sister and I went to the children's home, and then one of the, the youngest was adopted. But that night I'm crying because I got to thinking all these children bawling as, and I'm feeling so guilty, the shame and the feelings I had seeing all these children cry because that's all I'd ever done all my life was cry. And to see them crying, well, that night I was laying in my bed and I thought the house mother turned the light on because it just got real bright in the bedroom. And when I turned, at the foot of my bed was an angel, the brightest whitest light I've ever seen in my life. It lit the room up, and my sister and another girl was in the room. And I looked at the angel, and the angel looked me right in the eyes, and Tommy said, Jesus loves you. He'll always be with you. 
I didn't know what that meant, but I remember the feeling I had when I heard those words for the very first time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so uh, you go on to to still endure a lot. Your dad gets released from prison. Um, you have some interaction with him at the children's home that's still traumatic, abusive in nature. Um, but uh, you meet a good man, Gene, your husband. And, uh, and so talk about that transition into being married uh, to Gene becoming a mom. Yeah, that's just, I just want to pause and say, man never has the final word over God. The doctor said you'd have an Irish breakdown, you wouldn't have kids, but you actually have two kids, uh, two boys. And so talk about that season of, of falling in love and, and experiencing love in that way, uh, becoming a mom. Uh, tell us about that, and then we'll get to, to when well, you... Well, you'd almost think it'd be a real happy, joyous story. But it didn't so because I didn't know how to love my husband. And then when I had my two sons, it was a struggle because I didn't know how to love them. I had never been around a female in my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how to love those babies. And that's where the, the torment in my mind just, you know, how could I be a mother? How could I be a wife? And that's the enemy. He's after me all the time bringing back my old days. Well, I knew enough that it wasn't right because I saw my neighbor, how she loved on her children and kissed on them and her husband. And, and she was a Jesus lover, right? This is Nan your friend Nancy. Is that who we're talking about? Marilyn. Marilyn. Oh, I'm sorry. Marilyn. And Marilyn, she was such a lover of her family. Her husband was the same, but my two boys started going to church with them. And this is the best part of the story almost. One day I could hear the boys out in the garage and I went to look, and they had a cardboard box, and they were having church. But I could hear them crying and asking Jesus to save me. Well, I didn't know what that meant. And so time comes, comes, goes along, and I'll never forget the voice telling me, said, Mama, you need to know Jesus. You need to ask Jesus into your heart. Still, I didn't know what that meant. And so that's kind of where it all started, where I started hearing more about Jesus. And Marilyn would always come over and tell me, she never chased me down. Never did she chase me down and tried to tell me that I was a bad person. She loved me the way I was. Never talked to me about Jesus. She was just love, mm -hmm. love. I love that, that you say you didn't know how to love people, and that, that's tragedy, but I love that God just surrounded you with love. You didn't know how to love your your boys, but that didn't keep them from loving you. It didn't keep Jean from loving you. It didn't keep Marilyn from loving you. And so I love the love the picture of, of that love that God God brought forth as he was cultivating your heart and gonna bring back to remembrance that introduction of himself in the girls' home. So talk to me about your work you're you're in motherhood, you're working at a, a factory type of of environment and uh, where you hear machinery, it's stuff. It's there's, there's loud things that you hear, but you hear the voice of the enemy as loud as anything, just beating you up all the time. It was a factory, and the, it just went all the time. The loudness of it, but I'm gonna tell you, if you don't believe there's a devil, there's a devil, and he's out still to kill and destroy us. I mean, that was his whole thing with me because I was innocent and I didn't know any better. But he would literally just get on my shoulder, and I'd hear him, and he'd tell me, he said, he'd talk to me. He said, Dana, he said, why don't you step out in front of an 18-wheeler? Because I, I didn't want to live. Number one, I didn't feel worthy to be Jean's wife. 
that gap was always there. Because I thought he could have always had somebody smarter. So anyway, the enemy kept telling me to step out in front of an 18-wheeler, or he'd tell me to jump at this lake. We lived right at a lake, Lake Meredith and Emerald out by Emerald Pampa. Because I couldn't swim, but anyway, the my life started then as wanting to take my life. I just thought about it all the time. I thought Jean would be better off. My boys would be better off. Right now, um, if there's someone listening and they're thinking, believing that lie, because the thing about the enemy is that he's not creative and he speaks the same lies over and over and over again to women, to men. It doesn't matter. It's it's the same old stuff. And I've heard that before and I've, and I've heard it recently um, that my family's life would be better if I wasn't in that. What would you say to a woman battling that lie right in this moment that would be listening or watching? What's the truth of that? Well, it's the biggest lie in the world because God says that he's come to give us life. He said the enemy's come in to kill, destroy us. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So what did it look like for you to transition from being in that place of torment to accepting the love of Jesus? I was prepared to take my life. I had heard it enough and heard it enough, and I was convinced that that was the right thing to do. And so Jean had taken Brent and Brad to football practice. And that afternoon, the phone rang, and a girl called, which was Marilyn. And she simply said, Dan, I just called to tell you Jesus loves you. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, that's exactly what that angel told me, the same words, but I didn't know what it meant. I went on down to the hall to go on into the bedroom, and when I went in there, you know, it's God's love, His grace, and His mercies that was chasing me. I, I think of this all the time, that it was like the prodigal son, the daddy that was chasing. I could just see Jesus running towards me after it was all over, how He protected me through all of this, because surrounded me with my boys that love God so much in Maryland. But that night, when I went in that room, the love of God, I mean, you couldn't even explain it. It was just warmth, liquid love. And I never cried, because my daddy always told me I could never cry. I couldn't show my emotions by anyone. But that night I did. I cried, they said, for two hours, laying on that bed. Things coming out of me, coming out of me, because God set me free that night. I was in the darkest of the darkest of tunnels. And to be shown the light, isn't that just how God is, though? Mm-hmm. To be in that dark cellar, living in that thing. And then all at once, how he, when he showed himself to me, he was a light. Mm-hmm. The brightness of it, the light, the warmth of God's love. I mean, that's the only way somebody so broken, so wounded, is to know Jesus Christ. And I knew Jesus Christ that night. Praise God for that. And I love I love your neighbor. I don't know your neighbor. I hope she gets to watch this. I don't know if she's on Facebook. Well, in the meantime, Marilyn had passed away. Oh. But I had spoken at a prison. Yes. And I think seven girls got born again that night. And driving home, I was just crying, reading the messages that the girls gave me. And all at once, I heard the Holy Spirit say, Marilyn, seven more. And it was like God was always letting Marilyn know how many people had received Christ through my testimony. I think I think that uh, the encouragement for people listening that that maybe have a neighbor or have a friend that you know they're in a a pit of darkness, and it just 
it can seem overwhelming to you. Marilyn didn't have profound answers or strategies. She just loved you. And then I would suppose, having been in situations like that, that the Holy Spirit prompted her to say, call Dana, tell her Jesus loves her. And so I think the takeaway for all of us is um, it's that we have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting to love people both in a lifestyle kind of way and in a, a very direct and, and moment by moment kind of way. And so, um, uh, after that, I remember that you said you went to the church and they had the baptismal waters ready for you. Is that right? That they were ready to baptize you when you walked in and, uh, you were just again, embraced by more love, more love. Is that right? Oh, my pastor and his wife. I mean, just the love and Everybody knew me as being the shy, backward person and coming to this church. And I'll just be honest, I had never heard the words that I was pretty except for my husband. I mean, he was precious there. But my pastor's wife, Susie and Brother Ferguson, just embraced me with so much love. And she always called me pretty girl because I was young, 33 with two little boys. But just the love and the warmth of being in that church, the acceptance being filled with the Holy Spirit in this church is mm-hmm. it was the greatest thing ever. My life started then, I believe. And you as you shared, you you had some learning deficiencies from the way you were raised. Reading was a struggle. The Lord taught you to read and understand his Bible. Talk about opening up your Bible to and it falling to Psalm, I think twenty eight, what that verse says and how that became kind of your verse with the Lord. Well Jean had bought a Bible years before that, and it was put away. And I, I, the next morning I got up and I went in and I found that Bible and I, it just literally fell open. And when I looked down, it said, when your daddy and your mother left you, I took you up and I adopted you. And my first thought was, this book was written for me. I <laughs> believed it was all in my heart. How could this happen that this book was written for me? And just right after that, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. Mm-hmm. That was, all things are passed away. That old stuff's behind me. Mm-hmm. And then one night I'm sound asleep and I wake up and I'm hearing the word ear and eye. I didn't know what that meant. So finally I thought, well, I'm just going to go get my Bible. Maybe God will show me something, but again, my Bible opened up, and it said, your eyes haven't seen, your ears haven't heard the things I have prepared for you because I love you. And God just showed me all through the Word that that Word was written for me, and I believed it. And I love that. And that came through in your book. So in her book, it's about half of it is about her story, and then probably an, an equal amount is about living in this new life that she's talking about and encouragement, just devotional content, very based in scripture. Um, I loved reading through it and I've ordered my copy. So I'll, I'll enjoy meditating and reading in those spaces. But, um, man, um, what's really interesting is, uh, just not knowing your story. When you came to Entourage the first few times, uh, you can tell that you love the Lord. And I described you to someone, it may have been to Jesse. And I said, you know who I'm talking about? I said, it's that real free woman. That's what I, that's what I called. I said, she's really free. And, um, what beautiful irony of not, that is how, that is how I saw you when I saw you and I didn't know your story. And so I keep thinking about that scripture who, who's like he who's set free is free indeed and that that is your life and so so you go from this one extreme 
to the next, and then you're just walking in the newness of that promise that you're talking about. No eye has seen, no no ear has heard, and uh, that's absolutely beautiful. And so um, something that happens to bring your story a bit more full circle, you connect with your biological mother at some point who also had come to accept Christ around the same time that you did. Is that right? And, um, and then, uh, I just, I think that's extraordinary. I don't want to talk about your entire book cause you need to, uh, to purchase it and read it for yourself. But for a lot of people, I think that they would probably be thinking at this point, how could she ever forgive that man? Pete was his name. How could she ever forgive him? Talk about that, about forgiving and, uh, and you actually reaching out to share the gospel with your greatest offender? Well, what happened was when I got into the Word and the Holy Spirit started teaching me the Word, you know, he says that he couldn't forgive me unless I forgave my enemies. Well, my enemy was my daddy and my mother. She leaving me and then the abuse. So that stayed on my heart. And and I always kept a notebook. I wrote everything down so I wouldn't forget when God spoke to my heart. Everything was written in the time, date. But anyway... The Holy Spirit dealt with my heart for some time, and I remember reading that if I didn't have forgiveness, then God wasn't going to hear my prayers. But one day I was crying out to God about this. I said that you're going to have to help me love this man. I don't know how to forgive him. I kind of fell off into a sleep, and when I sleep, I saw Jesus, and he was standing with one arm around me and one arm around my daddy's shoulder, and he... Um, talking to him. Then he looked back at me and he said, Dana, I've forgiven him. He said, can you forgive him? And it broke me, broke me. I said, yes, Lord, I can forgive him. And I felt this weight literally coming off of me that had been holding me so tight for so many years. And I leaned and I said, I forgive you. And I was, I was free again in another area. You know, darkness will follow you and you have it. This didn't all happen overnight. It took years. In years of God teaching me this, the Word, how valuable the Word of God is. It's a must. It's a must to know who God is and to know His Word and to speak that Word. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I've, I forgave my daddy, and I called him. I had his phone number, and I called him and told him, I said, I forgive you for that offense and asked you to forgive me because of the hate I've carried over you so many years. And then he died right after that. But he received Christ before he died. Praise God. Some of them, I remember, I lost my train of thought a while ago for a second. But where I was going with that was in the second part of your book that is just devotional content. Your childlike faith is so evident and it's so pure. And I was telling you in between the break of what we recorded before this, um, that God just asks us to believe what he says. And that's really it. And so I loved it when you said, I read my Bible and I felt like God wrote this story for me that's all he asks us to do and um and man I make things a lot more complex and so you've taken God at his word to forgive to believe that he loves you now to believe that he wants to heal you and I love that you talk about you you accepted the Lord and experienced freedom but then as you just continued in intimacy with him you had that revelation okay I need to forgive now so then it's like more freedom more freedom more healing more healing but it came as you took God at his word and that first, the core of that word being that he loved you. He loved me. Yeah. He loved me. Can I share this you, real quick? You can. 
I had a dream. I think it was the very first night that I was born again. And I'm walking, and I'm seeing this big house, and it has pillars on it, but also has swing or um, rocking chairs. And as I'm getting closer to this house, I'm looking, and I think, well, that's Jesus. And he's rocking this baby, holding this baby ever so tight, and telling the baby how much he loves this, this baby. And all at once, the baby turned and looked at me, and it was me that he was loving on. Right then, I knew I was loved. I knew God loved me. And I was in church one time, and we had a pastor come through there. And he was calling people out, get, speaking the word over them and everything. And I remember him calling me up. And I thought, oh, I hope I get the gift of laying on hands or whatever the gifts are, This, you know. And he looked me in the eyes, and I'll never forget him. He just started crying. He said, honey, I've never seen this before, but God's baptizing you in the spirit of love. Oh, man. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It is. But I feel so in love, and I never got to call a man daddy ever. And that's the best part of my story, I think. I can call God daddy. That's all I call him. He's my daddy. Yes. He's my everything. He's my life. He's my breath. He's my thoughts, and God wants to set all of his children free, men, women, children. And that's the story. He said, I've came to set the captives free. Yeah. And it could be a captive of anything. Somebody maybe that's addicted to alcohol, to drugs, pornography. I mean, just everything can just list. It can ball it up. But God doesn't love me one ounce more than he loves anybody else. Not at all. Now, I used to always say that. I said I thought I was God's favorite <laughs> by far. I think it's okay to think that. But no, <laughs> he loves us all. He loves every one of us, and everyone's got a testimony. Yes. But God wants us free from these addictions and the things that holds us back from being who all we're supposed to be, and that's God's child. Yeah. Love conquers all. And I, in perfect love, cast out fear. And that's what I just want you once you received that, that Jesus loved you, yeah. we sent, we make it a methodical certain prayer, prayed a certain way at a certain place, but it, it's more simple than that. It's being in receipt of God's love, and he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died on the cross. So accepting what he did on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins is simply the receipt of the word of his love for us, toward us, and in us. And I thank you for sharing. And so to get all of her story, you'll have to, to order that book. Is there a, I know you have a Facebook page. Is there a website yet? Yes. What is the, what is the domain name for the, the website? While she's pulling that, that up, the Facebook page name, um, I believe is called The Seller. My, my emotional grave an amazing story of god's deliverance and and unconditional love by dana crier and that's spelled like dana d-a-n-a but it's pronounced dana and crier is c-r-y-e-r dana crier the seller my emotional grave and so dana i would just ask you as we close um if the lord is working in anyone's heart that is watching or listening um and they they want to receive God's love in their life and move from that place of dark to light. Would you just pray for them real quick? Father God, we just praise you and we just thank you for this time that 
we can just sit and talk about your goodness. And God, I know there's so many. I'm not the only one that's been hurt or abused. So many have, Father. But God, as I was driving over here from Potsdam, I was, it was like I could see you, Daddy. You were just running. You chase us down. You love us so much that you'll chase us down. And Father God, we don't have to preach. We don't have to shout at people and tell them what they're doing wrong. All we do is be love. Father God, we are love. You are love. We are love. And so, Father God, anybody that's hurting today, I pray their ears will be opened and their eyes will be opened to your Holy Spirit, Lord, your love. And let you draw them in. Draw them into your arms, Father, and that the captives all be set free. And, Father, there's no guilt or shame. Once we're able to talk about it, it's like the world opens up and there's more people that we can witness to. And, the ones that's listening that's been hurt, I'll just prophesy and speak this over you. You're going to be sitting across the table someday once you're totally free and be a witness to someone. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ loves you, and all he asks is that you ask him into his heart, and then he'll be able to forgive you, and then he'll be able to heal you. But most of all, I want to share that Jesus Christ loves you with everything. And you are his beloved children. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, just to wrap this up, if, if you are listening and you have, um, you're having thoughts of self-harm, then please tell someone. And don't stay in that isolation. Um, tell someone what's going on immediately. And, uh, and if you... Are, are being led to reach out to someone that you feel like is incredible darkness, please be inspired by this story and just go and, and tell them a simple truth of love. So that's all. If you want to hear Diana uh, share and meet her, join us um, at our monthly gathering Tuesday, April 9th, 6.30 p.m., Monterey, Durant, Oklahoma. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. We gather for our monthly worship gathering open to any woman who has interest the second Tuesday of every month at the Monterey in the Arts District of Durant, Oklahoma. 